Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. On today's episode, my guest is the author of the book, Blossom, Seven Steps to Sexual Healing and Chief Pleasure Officer, Carolyn Hauser. Carolyn's work is based on cutting-edge intimacy advice, quantum physics, and biology. We explore topics that many may consider taboo, like infidelity, addiction, and oral sex, and how all of this relates to our vibrational state. I think you'll see that Carolyn is redefining pleasure and offers training and teachings from Sedona, Arizona. I'm still digesting some of what she suggests, particularly about orgasms. Carolyn offers a new perspective on traditional lovemaking and healing relationships. I welcome the opportunity to learn about this alternative paradigm. If you like content like this, please like and follow the podcast on your preferred listening platform. We've just launched a quick survey on my website, neuronstunirvana.com. Please visit my website to provide feedback on where to take future episodes. Now let's hear from Carolyn. Carolyn, how are you today? Good. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm thrilled to have you on and can't wait for you to share uh, your story and your life's work in regards to what you do. Why don't you tell us, where are you from originally? Well, I was born in Germany, but originally I remember coming from, you know, the Heavenly Meadows, being up there and, and uh, you know, being obviously not, not in a physical body, and then coming down to Earth. And um, I grew up in Germany until my mid-20s, and then I came to the States, and I've ended up in Sedona now. How long have you been in Sedona? A little, That's a great time. Yeah, a little over two. I came here right before COVID, so I was really, really lucky. So a little over two years, yeah. I was actually there during COVID. It was around uh, July of 2020, and it was a nice place to visit. It was very laid back, beautiful, of course. Yeah. What do you specialize in? I really specialize in helping couples in longer-term relationships either – um, bring attraction and connection back or also people that are out of relationships and want to just create something different the next time around and couples that are together for whatever amount of time you know new couples or longer term couples where they really do love each other they're either on a roller coaster and can't figure out how to be peaceful and connect or um, the attraction just has gone away and they're like friends and the common denominator is that all of them want to just have more stability and um, really live the connection that they were hoping that they would have with each other and the peace and the harmony and the love. Right. And do you see also single people as well? I do, you know, because oftentimes when, when we are single and especially at our age, you know, we've gone through relationships and we're at a point where like, okay, we got to do something different, right? We like, we can't keep doing we can't keep doing the same thing over and over. We want to find something that helps us create relationships that last. Right. And you've written a book called Blossom, Your Seven Steps to Sexual Healing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And when did that come out? I came out in 2000 and well, I wrote it in 2009 and then it came out in 2012, really. It was published. And can you enlighten me and my listeners? What are the principles behind the seven steps to sexual healing? So, you know, a lot of a lot of the time in in the mental health space or when it comes to sexual trauma healing or trauma healing, people really treat it as um, mental or psychological thing that we have to deal with. And in my own journey, um, what I've discovered is that it's actually much more of uh, physical and energetic. And when I say energetic, I'm, I'm talking about your own energy and your own energy system, which is your nervous system is part of it. So in, in terms of like really healing from trauma, it's not so much about understanding and coming to terms with it, than really learning to be in your body and learning to, to heal your own nervous system by being in your body. So it's the, my, the principles that I take people through in the book have a lot to do with finding your way back home into your body and learning to use your body as a tool for for your own healing learning to live through your senses and using using your senses well becoming comfortable again to live through your senses and be here because i believe that we're here on earth not to suffer we're here to have an amazing experience and when we're disconnected from ourselves it's pretty hard to have a good experience on all levels right what is uh i came across bonding based lovemaking what is that exactly yeah so my own story with relationships was very tumultuous and just um they wouldn't work out and it i obviously i never gave up and i really wanted to have an i believe that you could have a really a deeply satisfying and close relationship, but my life kind of like proved the opposite. And about five years ago, I came across a book that's called Cupid's Poisoned Arrow. It wasn't written by me. It was written by a woman named Marnia Robinson. And her story was very similar to mine, that relationships would start out great. You'd be so in love. And then for no reason that you could really explain, all of a sudden you find all faults in each other and you start fighting and arguing and triggering each other. And, and, like me, she was just wondering like why and wanting to find a solution. And she started looking into ancient texts like Taoist lovemaking books and tantric um, books and found texts there that suggested that if we overdid it with wild, crazy, what's called procreation-based sex, so sex that includes orgasm, basically, um, that that was really not good for us spiritually and emotionally and health-wise overall and they suggested a much calmer approach to lovemaking and back then it wasn't called bonding based or anything it was just basically you know they had more mystical terms to it if you wanted to like tame the dragon and things like that (laughs) That, you know it was more cryptic back then the way they wrote in those texts and marnia collected all these texts and they're written in the book so that's why this book is the cupid's point there is such a great book because she's bringing like these ancient texts but then she's also bringing neuroscience and i know that you know you're really interested in the neuroscience uh, side of things and that's why i'm here today is because basically once marnia wrote um started implementing what she read in those ancient texts um she realized that nowadays there's a lot more knowledge or we can know a lot more about our brains and hormones based on all the neuroscience studies that has have been done and so as she was a few years into her studies she met what who became her husband gary um, Wilson and he he was a biology teacher and had done a lot of um, or collected a lot of research on what for example um, drugs and porn do to the brain and so forth so when they came together Marnia and her husband uh, Marnia Robinson that's the name of the author um, they started putting two and two together and basically found out that 
as human beings, we have two programs for lovemaking. One, the one that we generally know that includes orgasm, but also includes um, us procreating and getting pregnant and that program really being connected to procreation and the survival of the species. So it's not necessarily in favor of the pair bond or the couple surviving. It's our, our biology really wants us to have have sex with as much people as possible, with many people as possible, so that we spread our genes. And that's true for men and women. We always just thought that was true for men, men, but actually the research that we have now shows that's the same for women. So not really good if we want to have stable, long-lasting relationships, in a sense. And then this other program that we have um, is called bonding-based lovemaking because it's it's um, based on a, or it activates another set of um, survival mechanisms which have to do with the infant caregiver bond and uh, you know I know that on your podcast you talk about attachment styles and so forth and so for anybody that has trouble in relationships the trouble usually comes from the early attachment not having been there in a healthy way and so this bonding based lovemaking actually is a way for us as, as adults to heal our attachment styles and and create a secure attachment with our mate by engaging a different set of hormones and specifically oxytocin, the the procreation-based sex, the sex that we know, the lovemaking that we know, um, is based on a dopamine spike, which is really not good for our brain. And we'll talk about this a little later, I'm sure. The oxytocin that we can get through the bonding behaviors and bonding way of lovemaking is really good for us. It's good for our nervous system. It's good for our brain. It's good for our health. And like I said, it it, it, it can heal our attachment styles and create um, a really deep bond in a couple. And from that security and from that bond, you can really blossom in life. So that's what, you know, that's a little bit about what bonding-based lovemaking is in a nutshell. Right. What are the attachment styles how many are there? There's three attachment styles, and they're, I mean, you know, they're fluid, so most of us have a mix out of the three, a combination. The first one is the secure attachment style, and that they are developed in utero and when we're babies. And as a secure baby, your experience was that when you needed something, when you cried, when something, you know, when when you, when you asked for something, that something was either provided or you could make sense why it wasn't provided. You know, you could maybe you were hungry, but your mom was under the shower and you were there and you kind of could make sense why she's not responding that moment right so you were your experience of life was i can ask for what i need life makes sense the world makes sense i feel empowered because i can ask for what i need and i can get my needs met and i feel resourceful and i'm not in lack basically i'm my experience is that most of the time i get my needs met when i need something life is good you know kind of thing unconsciously obviously as a baby then with the anxious attachment attachment style for those babies the experience is that sometimes they get they get the response that they need sometimes they get their needs met and sometimes they don't and they can't figure out why it is because since it's based on the other person and if the other person the one that should be their caregiver or the you know securely attached person to them if that person is erratic or if the circumstances are so that um, that person can only be there you know in very inconsistent ways, then for that baby, the survival becomes, I need to figure out what I need to do so that this other person doesn't leave, so that this other person stays. And so as with somebody who has a severe anxious attachment style, 
their focus is off of themselves. So they start not feeling anymore what they really truly need or, you know, not really like they almost don't feel themselves anymore because they're so worried about the other person and just constantly um, concerned with doing what this other person needs to to please and survive. And obviously this is a pattern also, you know, in abusive situations where for your own survival, you really had to do what the other person wants. You know, if there was um, anger or alcohol and stuff involved where you just really had to like be very like vigilant about knowing how to behave, but obviously it's not a way where you grow up to be calm and um, safe feeling in a sense, right? And so it's very difficult when your brain as a baby is subjected to that kind of like um, instability because it makes it so that as an adult, your nervous system is overtaxed and you can't really relax and think clearly in the situation when it matters. I mentioned several times throughout my podcast and past episodes that I've battled depression and I have general anxiety and ADHD. What percentage of your clients you see have those similar issues that they have to overcome one or the or both or within the couple yeah i mean it's oftentimes that one has it more than the other you know it's it's generally that one is a little bit more avoidant and that's why it's not working or one is a little bit more anxious so most of my couples one is more secure and the other one is either more avoidant or more anxious um i do have couples where they're both anxious and avoidant um most of the couples that work with me, they have gone through some sort of trauma where, you know, these, where they just basically developed these, um, these attachment styles. And then depending on, you know, how your lifestyle is, I mean, a lot of, a lot of adult, adult people just based on how our lives are, suffer from a lot of anxiety and depression, you know, it's almost normal now. So, you know, I don't know in terms of a percentage, I would say like, 70 to 80 percent you know if they were feeling super happy and content they wouldn't look for somebody like me have you seen that these things uh, with your clients their interconnectedness with one another and how they're dealing on a day-to-day basis or lack thereof uh intimacy has COVID affected that dramatically i think COVID has given everybody an opportunity to really reevaluate. you know for some people, it was really good because they got to finally spend time and they realized, wow, like when we're together, we're actually, it's better for us, you know, and some people, they realize like, oh, now that we have time or when, you know, in the beginning of COVID, um, we don't know how to relate to each other at all. And it brought up a lot of stuff and actually we need to do some work, you know, so I think overall COVID has been really good for, for all of our relationships because it made it so that we had time to look at it. And most people, you know, I mean, of course, there's some where it just fell apart, but I think a lot of people also took it as an opportunity to realize that they need to do something to make it better, that they're not willing, you know, to keep going forward like this and want something different. And can you tell me the premise behind the pleasure IQ? It's more of a philosophy. So in my own story, um, about like 10 years ago, I really hit rock bottom, meaning I had like chronic fatigue, a lot of autoimmune stuff, adrenal burnout, going through the wars, going through bankruptcy. And um, I, because of like, I was feeling so desperate. I, I literally just had a complete collapse and was thrown out of my body and really thought I was done with this life because I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, And a voice said, you're not done and sent me back into my body and kind of said, you know, Carolyn, if you want something different, 
you really need to go into the pursuit of pleasure. And I had no idea what that meant at that point. But I also had an idea that it had to do with me allowing myself to really say yes to the things that I wanted to do and know, well, well basically Spurred said, you have to learn to say yes to, you know, say yes to the things that feel good to you in a, in a soul kind of sense, not in an instant gratification kind of sense and no to the things that really don't feel right to you and see what your life does because I, I, my attachment style is somewhat anxious and so I was very concerned with just pleasing everybody around me and had completely lost myself. And so over, over a very short amount of time, you know, maybe a year and a year and a half, following these principles of really learning to be connected to myself and learning to feel into what I really need and, and learning to say yes to those things, my life com transformed completely. I went from, you know, being a nobody and not having a business to having a, a thriving practice and really serving people and um, moving from a one bedroom apartment into a five bedroom house. You know, those are just outer things, but my health coming back, you know, my vitality coming back and really feeling like I'm living my purpose now and I have the energy to live my life and the depression going away and all those things. And it all came from basically so pleasure IQ, a pleasure IQ is your ability to allow pleasure in all areas of your life. And a lot of us, because of the subconscious programming that we live in, we just live like automatically and like slaves and we don't really live the life that we came to live here. And that's deeply depressing, you know, so helping people to, to, to free themselves from these programs so that they can truly allow themselves to be who they are. And I know this sounds cheesy, but, um, it, that's what it really comes down to, you know, how do you, how do you allow yourself to just truly do the things that you truly want to be and how do you go for them? And when society just tells you to, especially right now to be afraid and not do anything and just stay home and hide and wait and, you know, wait and see and kind of, you know, how do you do it? When you see couples, how often is the outside world, social media, you mentioned pornography, what, what are these destructive patterns that you see more often than not between couples? Well, oftentimes it's, you know, when people keep triggering each other, it's often just tra childhood trauma that hasn't been dealt with. And a lot of people have gone through therapy and have done a lot of work on themselves and they're, they're, they're still not, not maybe a little better, you know, but they're still triggering each other. And um, like I said, for me, what I've learned is that trauma healing has nothing to do with understanding and analyzing and uh, rationalizing and trying to change your behavior through, you know, your conscious mind. It really has to do with healing the, the, the stuff in your physical body and your physical, your subconscious is in your nervous system and in your physical body. It's not something that's in your brain or in your thoughts. You know, it's literally in your cells. When trauma happens, it's like too much energy hits your your physical body and your physical body doesn't know where to put it and and it's it turns it into negative energy in a sense and then it gets stored in your body and um our life works really well when our energy is in a good place when we have trauma that's not dealt with it basically makes it so that our energy goes into a not good place into a negative place and so there's ways to work with the body to release this energy out of your body so that your body starts just if you just plugged it in and measured it, you know, it starts having a higher number, basically. 
And if you don't mind, can we circle back? Do you mind sharing the out-of-body experience that you had? I don't mind. So, so literally, what happened? Um, I had been I had been a stay-at-home mom, and my husband at the time was working full time. I had a sixteen-month-old and a five-year, five-and-a-half-year-old, and, a year old, and uh, I was just getting sicker and sicker, and had no energy. And he came home uh, one day from work, and I had been trying to tell him that I just can't, I can't do it. I can't take care of these kids. I'm, I have zero energy, not because I don't love them, but like literally, there was something wrong with me physically. And he didn't mean anything. He was super, you know, overwhelmed to just, you know, trying to make enough money to live in Santa Barbara and knowing that I wasn't doing well probably didn't help either. But he came home and, you know, I, I caught him at the door and I kind of said, I can't do this anymore. And he, all he said was, well, you wanted to be a mother. And when he said that, for me, it felt like it was a death sentence. And I literally just, we had a futon right next to the door. I just literally collapsed on the futon my kids were there. They were on top of me. They they started crying because they didn't. They were scared and they didn't know what was going on. And I was literally catapulted out of my body under the ceiling, looking down back on myself, and see even seeing my kids like you know like crying and really desperate didn't help me come back. And I was like that was awful because I loved them very much. And then within seconds, you know, the voice said, "Well, you're not done here." And I was sent back into my body. And then for an entire week. I was suspended in a complete state of, you could say, bliss, enlightenment. There was just no negativity, and so it was a it was a musical experience, and it taught me how how my own negativity had created everything up to this point. Because it was almost like I had this this beautiful symphony playing in the background. As long as I had no negative thought, no negative anything, as long as I was just completely in the moment, and then any time. A, a negative thought about myself or other people was trying to enter this this field. The music would go out of tune, and I would just I just wouldn't go there. I would just not allow it. And during that whole week, all of a sudden, I was you know I realized how afraid I had been of people. I started looking at people and smiling at them and saying hello, and they said hello back. And I'm like, oh my god, I've been so afraid of people. I never would look them in the eyes, and people were so friendly to me and so helpful. And things would just manifest. Like I, I would think, oh, I need a lemon. And I go onto my porch and there's a lemon that dropped down from somewhere. You know, I have no idea where it came from. Really? Yeah, like things like that was just, it was just, it was magical, you know. And then on day six or seven, I got into a fight with my ex-husband, like an argument. And I dropped out of that state. And I was like, oh my God, I have to figure out how, how did I get into the state? And how can I get back into the state? And uh, because everything worked, you know, there was nothing wrong. Like everything just worked perfectly and beautifully in that state. Uh, and um, so that's, that's become my mission, right. To figure it out for myself and then figure out ways to teach this to other people. Have you ever been able to reobtain or reattain that, that feeling? Um, I would say, you know, not, not to the, the extreme, but there's many times in my life now where I feel really present and where things really do flow. And, were, I mean, my life compared to even like five years ago, the the amount of flow and peace and ease and things just working magically and, you know, they all look maybe like coincidences, but they're not, you know, like I think of something and then something, everything just working out in a sense without me worrying so much. Um, and I've and I've had mentors and help with this, obviously, you know, and gotten help. Um, it is for the most part, you know, it is a big part of how I live now. It's a little different around my period. <laughs> you know, it's probably how it is for every woman. <laughs> gets a little more tricky. Or, you know, when my teenager is having a meltdown, my, my daughter is now 16 almost. So 
you know, or my dog runs away and things like that. But for the most part, um, my inner state and, 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 you know, I have to say like from that experience, what became really clear is that I have to make my inner state of being my own inner state of being my main priority. And, and I've spent the last 10 years trying to figure out or figuring out what, what, what are the components that help me to be in a really good feeling, um, peaceful state. And, 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 and these things are universal, you know, it has to do with your diet. It has to do with your exercise. It has to do with, your intentions and the routines that you have, it has to do with who you're surrounding yourself with. Um, yeah. And, and a whole bunch of other things, you know, there's, there's definite components that are very real and practical that help me and the people that I teach this and bonding based lovemaking is one of them. If you, when you're in a couple that really help you be in that state. Yeah. Great question. So I have ADHD. One of the, characteristics or byproducts, the traits can be uh, high libido. So let's say one member of the couple, uh, he or she has a high libido and the other does not. How do you help them overcome that? Yeah, that's also a really good question. So so like I said, libido is actually connected to the whole um, procreation and dopamine paradigm. Um, when we move into the oxytocin and bonding-based lovemaking we move out of like we could still call it libido but it's a different kind of attraction and a different kind of satisf satisfaction that comes from it and in my experience um once it's mostly the women right that have like a lower libido because of hormonal stuff or you know but it's usually so when we stay in the procreation based paradigm of sex for most women it feels draining because it feels like you're only getting touched because he wants something and he only wants something and he's all, there's only sex because he wants something so it's very much like i have to give 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 and give and i don't get anything back from it you know that's the perception and and it's in some it's somewhat correct because when we have the dopamine spikes it really makes us feel drained and men will feel drained also you know they fall asleep right after and, and feel more irritable actually if they start looking but it has to do with having this dopamine spike in our brain and then it takes two weeks for us to actually just come back to kind of like normal feeling so so in the in the bonding based when we start moving into the oxytocin women start feeling like they're getting the the, the whole oxytocin bonding flow makes it so that love making actually starts feeling satisfying for both because we're moving out of this paradigm where you're just trying to get from each other to a paradigm where you're giving to each other. And then the giving becomes really good feeling physically, emotionally. And so it's not so much about libido. It's more about all of a sudden there's something that feels good to both and, and, and also to the physical body. So it's almost like the physical body discovers food that it hasn't had in a long time and starts like oh, this is what I've been missing. This is the connection I've been missing and starts wanting it. And so in the beginning, you have to kind of be, it's a practice. Bonding-based lovemaking is a practice. And in the beginning, when your brain isn't used to it, you really kind of have to trust the process. Maybe force yourself a little, not too much because you're still like making out and making love. So it's not that bad, but you have to kind of force yourself to schedule. And then once your brain starts really clicking into it, you know, generally when somebody has transitioned, the men and the women, so the you know whether somebody had higher libido or less or higher sex drive or less, both their bodies are naturally going to start wanting to make love every day. And it's very natural to make love in the morning and the evening, right when you wake up and to go before you go back to bed. and it's it's 
it's not a lovemaking where you exhaust yourself and where it's wild and that kind of, but it's lovemaking where it's very nurturing. And actually when you start your day like that, you have like lots of energy left. And when you go to sleep like that, you feel very just happy and complete and fulfilled. And, you know, you would think that the brain's missing the orgasm, but in the beginning, maybe because you think like something's wrong because you're not doing what you're used to. But over time, this becomes so much more satisfying and energizing that it's almost like you forget about having an orgasm. Like for me at this point, it's like, yeah, I kind of remember, but this feels so much better, you know? When you don't have an orgasm? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I came across where you say orgasms are bad. Say again? You didn't come across to the part that I... I did no, I did come across yeah. where you say why or you know yeah. why are orgasms bad? Yeah, so orgasms basically when you look at brain scans of addicts that take heroin or cocaine and someone having an orgasm, they're identical. Like the, what happens in our brain is identical, and so what we don't realize is that because we didn't know this other way, we kind of have got all gotten addicted to the dopamine high, which is really not good for us. We just didn't know that there's a different way that makes us really feel much better and creates the connection that we want, right? We only know this one thing. And so we've been going for this one thing when it's really not good for us just because we didn't know about this other thing. And, you know, in any normal situation, you wouldn't be snorting heroin every other, other day, right? Or, no, or snorting cocaine. Yeah, right? You would know that that's not good for you. It feels good in the moment, you know, it does. But it's that's like how, how sneaky our genes are because... Um, the survival of our species is connected to that good feeling feeling. Right? It's very clever. Yeah. And how does oral sex come into That's a good question. All the it, it does not come into the bonding-based lovemaking because um so in bonding-based lovemaking, the idea is, is to move away from genital stimulation. I mean it's still part of it, but generally when we have sex, it's a very genital-oriented event and there's it's not a whole body, whole, you know, soul kind of experience. And so anything that that will make it so that your brain wants to go into the procreation based, so any kind of friction or oral sex or any normal foreplay that we know is actually just a way to get us into the, the procreation based track, basically. But there's other ways that um, you can you can kiss with comfort, for example, you know, if you if you are kissing different body parts with com with the intention of comforting then it creates, then it, it um, activates the oxytocin. So you can do that all day long, you know, but as soon as you do something to turn the other person on so that you can get some, um, or, to, you know, yeah. So it's, it's you know, people have to really experiment and just see, and they, they will see that over time, getting too aroused doesn't feel good anymore because the good feeling feeling from the bonding comes from deeply relaxing. And when somebody's doing something to you that's too arousing, you can't really deeply relax. And so you're not getting the good feeling feeling from the relaxing because you're too stimulated. So the goal is to avoid an orgasm? Is that what you're saying? Um, the goal is, you know, to it's not actually a lot of people try to understand this and think, well, are you saying it's just having sex and then just stopping and not having an orgasm? No, that's not what it is. That would create a lot of like frustration and stuff. It's you really learn to just make love in a very slow and gentle way. And then the lovemaking itself becomes really pleasurable. So it's just a very, you know, you're not going anywhere anymore. You're just like the lovemaking itself in the moment is what feels so good that you're just super satisfied. And you don't, you don't ever, I mean, you, you do yourself a disfavor if you're getting too much, if you're getting too wild and too wild up because that that's the dopamine, you know, and, and 
most people have to experiment with this and make the mistakes for you to learn what it feels like, you know. In the beginning, most people still make sex or have love make love the way that they're used to and just stop and and have to control themselves and get a feeling for it until they start relaxing more and more and and uh, you know for guys oftentimes when you say well you should just make love really slowly then they get very anxious because it's like okay but i need the movements otherwise you know things don't work and and so for the bonding based love making you really don't even need to have like a very you know you don't need to stay hard the whole time you can it's 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 very different it's all about like energy and flow and not about the physical friction anymore and i would have to guess that you when you meet with couples eye contact is very important yeah i mean there's there's right? very specific bonding behaviors that they learn that they do you know that they practice aside from making love so that they get the the oxytocin flow comes from eye contact, breathing together, giving each other touch that's meant for comforting and not meant for leading anywhere. So, you know, a lot of people have to learn how to actually give that kind of touch because we're also used to just, and, and also to receive because as adults, we generally don't receive touch unless it's connected to having sex. You know, we don't just have somebody hug us and pet our head or rub our feet or, you know, things like that. And so, Part of the practices for the couples is also to learn like what what bonding behaviors feels good. You know, for some people, being held really tightly feels really good. For another one, um, breathing together feels really good. And so it's it's just a matter of figuring out what flavor your you feels good to you, and then doing lots of those things throughout the day, so that when you then make love, it's very natural to kind of include those things. When you meet with your clients, couples in particular, and single people, but Primarily couples, how often do you tell them to have sex during, uh, let's just say a week, per week? So ideally every day, or ideally you do bonding behaviors every day. Ideally you really spend like a half an hour in the morning. Ideally you live together and you can spend the nights together and you can spend the nights sleeping skin to skin and you can hold each other. And then ideally you, you cuddle every morning and every evening. And then I think ideally you you have intercourse at least five times a week and then also ideally you have like one stretch during the day during the week you know where it's not in the morning and not in the evening where you can make love together without needing to have have to go anywhere without you know needing to get up or without getting too tired like you know either like a late morning or an early afternoon where it's just you just have hours basically because the deep relaxation can only kick in when you know, when you have time and spaciousness in a sense. And so it's important to at least like have one block of time a week where you can experience. And then the more you can experience that in a longer block of time, the easier it gets then to also do that in the shorter, you know, the mornings and the evenings, like your brain will know what to do and how to relax, even when you only have an hour, you know. When you see a couple, what what is the ultimate goal? And when do you say, okay, my my work is done here? Yeah, that's also a really good question. So generally, you know, they start feeling really better and they feel really comfortable with the practice. And that takes anywhere from like two to six months. And I have my my program set up in a way where people have lifetime access to a group component so they can come back and ask questions or get feedback or if they've fallen off the you know, bandwagon. I have a teaching component that they can have for lifetime. It's just videos basically, so they can keep coming back to it. I tell them to read the Cupid's Poison Arrow book, you know, and so they have that to go back to. And then they have the community that they stay part of for for, for how long they want, you know, for lifetime. Um, 
And so it's just really, it, it just really depends. And generally once they've, once they've had like, let's say a two to three month stretch where they were happy, where they connected every day, where they were making love, where they didn't feel like they needed to have orgasms, where nobody felt like they were missing something and where they feel like, oh my God, like we're in such a better space, you know, then they don't need my help anymore so much, you know, but to get to that place, generally it takes time because we have to deal with the traumas. We have to deal with the attachment styles. We have to deal with the brain, you know, having a certain amount of addiction to dopamine, you know, more or less. And, and then just learning a new way of being. And, and once they transition, you know, kind of like my own life, everything starts transforming. Like the, because you start feeling better about yourself, you're feeling more secure, you're feeling more confidence, you look for better opportunities to make money. You, you know, you allow yourself to move out of situations that aren't serving you, whether that's in your job or, your, you know, in other relationships. And so in general, you know, you just, it's a, it's a process over like six months to a two year time where your entire life up levels and and you really become the person that you are here to be because you have the energy and to do it and are no longer drained by the relationship struggles and you know your own addictions and depressions and things like that so bonding with lovemaking is proven to actually help with you know moving out of addiction and depression and all because you have the secure attachment and you're starting to feel settled you know within yourself Right. I mean, love is obviously the most integral, I think, mm -hmm. component in everyone's yeah. life. If you don't have a strong support system with someone that you truly love, then it can it can throw your whole life in disarray. Yeah. Yeah. How often do your clients are the is infidelity? I mean, are you able to help a man or woman in the couple? stop that mm -hmm. destructive behavior well it's generally you know generally nobody really wants to go out when somebody marries they want to have the the dream with the, who they are with and then if that's not possible a last resort generally or really bad programming from you know like some some men that's what their dads did that's what their uncles did and they really don't want it but their subconscious is so strong in there that they can't fight it you know that's one one or four women the same um, or it's really a last resort because, you know, they they really don't know what to do anymore and they can't can't just completely sacrifice themselves, right? So in a sense it can bring back balance. Like if it's a situation where somebody, you know, like where somebody hasn't been getting their needs met, it can bring back balance and kind of like, okay, we're at ground zero now, let's start over. We, you know, we know we need to do something. Like the other person who's been maybe withholding sex or couldn't be intimate for whatever reason, it makes them hopefully wake up and see like, okay, if I want to be with this person, um, I need to look at my traumas and I need to do something so that we can have a healthy relationship because intimacy is a part of a healthy relationship, right? There's some people that think, well, you know, intimacy is just, it's not, this shouldn't be part of a marriage or anything like that. I, I don't believe that, you know, I believe bonding based lovemaking is what should be a part of a marriage and makes a relationship so that it's really beneficial for both and, and truly the thing that we want it to be. I came across something where it said your uh, work is based on quantum physics. Can you elaborate on yeah, that? Yeah. So because we work with energy, right? So what I was describing to you, your own state of being has to do with how you feel. Well, how we feel has to do with the our vibrational state in a sense. And so that has to do with quantum physics, those things. You know, quantum physics measures energy. Everything is energy. 
Um, I haven't done this work. There's other people that are, you know, quantum physicists and scientists that are very, you know, well, world-renowned. Einstein is one of them. Um, Dr. David Hawkin, who used to live in Sedona, who's no longer living, he did a lot of research on this, and he gave us what's called the scale of consciousness, where he showed that anything below 200 goes towards death and decay. Courage, when we feel courageous or um, when we experience courage, that's, that means that we are at 200. Somebody who vibrates at 200, they will have courage. Everything above 200 gets better and better and better. When we're able to live in, in a vibrational state of like 500 to 600, our experience of life is one of bliss, love, peace. Um, yeah, and so with everything that I do and everything that I've done in my own life is learning about energy and learning what I need to do or what people can do to get themselves into like the 500s you know when you say 500s what is the scale like 200s it goes from zero it goes to zero from zero to a thousand um a thousand would be the divine you know we would not be in a like if we became an angel or if we transmuted into like a higher form of being like a a you know the divine basically measures at a thousand 600 we can still live in a physical body if we go to like seven eight hundred we already start being a light being basically and 200 is what that's, that's anything under towards death and decay yeah, so 200 right? is like a dividing line um a lot of society lives unfortunately below 200 so they they're very much in despair and fear and anger and those kinds of things um anybody above 200 calibrates you know depending on how how much above you are like somebody has 500 counterbalances helps with their energy 750,000 other people that are below 200 it gets fascinating you know right. so yeah so you you mentioned just to the listeners and, and to myself i'm curious which three to five books would you say would be great yeah. for one to read definitely the cupid's poison arrow on the bonding ways love making. yes making then there's a book called attached by Amir Levine and the attachment styles. It's an easy book to read and it just kind of explains the attachment styles and it's a really good relationship book. And then Letting Go by David Hawkins um, talks about the vibrational states of being. And really that was the first book that kind of explained to me my experience and made it so that I could actually do something practical with it and put words to what I was doing and, you know, after my outer body experience. So those are the three. And then if you want to look into like food related things dr morris is somebody who um really figured out how to eat so that we're in the most high i I believe he's the one that's figured out how to and that's who i follow um how to eat so that we can be in the most high vibrational state and really live the longest also because a side effect from you know being in a high vibrational state is also that your your body's death and decaying process so the aging process also either reverts or you know slow or slows down and Part of what attracted me to Marnia in the first place was I saw a video of her when she was probably in her 70s when she talked about bonding with lovemaking and she looked like a 19 year old and her energy was like a 19 year old. I'm like, I'm gonna, I need what she has. Like, for, for. how old was she? She was in her 70s. She, when you I think her? she's in her 80s now and she was in her 70s when she did the interview. Oh, yeah. wow. And I mean, she had like no wrinkles in her. She was like glowing, like, you know, it was like, I want what she has. <laughs> All right. Speaking of, when you work with your clients, are you able to see when it's very successful? Do you see or and sense this sort of glow? Yeah. With the couple? oh, you can see it. Yeah. Like you can, and I've started. And you I, can feel the feel the energy. Mm-hmm. I've started taking pictures, you know, from before and after, and it's like 
you know, they look like teenagers again, you know, the, the joys come back, the aliveness has come back. Um, and, and they also, they'll tell you, they feel different, you know? Also, when you're seeing your clients, are, are you able to extrapolate past hurts? Maybe that they haven't, mm -hmm. uh, that have, they've kept submerged for so long yeah. that they didn't even realize it. How are you able to help them, uh, see that and have them resurface yeah so i use a process that's called family constellations which is a it's an energy work modality that helps to make the subconscious you know to make whatever is in the subconscious the, whatever negative stuff is in the subconscious um visible and then there's a way to really heal it and transform it it's a modality that's very well known in europe and it's getting more and more known here in the states and it's it's just it saved my life i was a really anorexic and bulimic from 10 till 20 and nothing had helped. And I, 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 I started working with this modality and in a very short amount of time, the eating disorders just fell away. And I mean, that, that was a huge blessing, you know, at that point because nothing had helped before. So, and then, you know, that was 43 years ago now. And ever since I've been involved with this kind of work, that was, that's what set me on the path really. Your clients, are they uh, virtual or are you seeing them in person or both? Both. How does that work? Luckily, since I'm in Sedona, a lot of people want to come here. So, you know, even if, if they start virtually, um, my program is set up so it's virtual. But then if and people do get one-on-one -on -one work in the program. So if they can come here for some of it, it's welcomed. And then I have local clients because, you know, I'm. it's great to be in Sedona because people that are wanting to grow and get better come here, you know, so... So yeah, Sedona has uh it's a very bohemian, uh welcoming environment. Yeah. I love it. It's a great community. So where does where does spirituality come into play for you personally and in your work? Yeah, so since everything's energy, right? To me, like source is energy and the the more we can align ourselves with that energy with the divine, the better. And as human beings, you know, we have the physical body, the emotional body, the energetic body, and we're spiritual beings and we need to not we need to, but I feel I live my most optimum life when I really acknowledge all four of these levels and have ways to incorporate every day. And bonding-based lovemaking, you know, it, it is an opportunity to get to somewhat connect with this higher aspect of yourself and have a spiritual, mystical experience to really becoming one. And, you know, that's what, what Tantra kind of promises and other, I think, other philosophies talk about that. And it's possible to bonding-based lovemaking, obviously also through meditating and being in nature, you can have these experiences, but, you know, bliss is a spiritual experience, right? So, yeah, but we need, like, as human beings, we have an opportunity to be in our bodies and use our bodies to, we don't need to leave, you know, we don't need to leave our bodies to be enlightened, basically. Our, like, I think what we all have to learn is that our body is actually the way there. And this is maybe an outside of the box, uh, even more so, but religion, do you see that coming into play and in perhaps uh, if a couple's too rigid mm -hmm. and not open-minded and mm -hmm. taking a different approach mm -hmm. with their sexuality and their partner? Yeah. So religion obviously has kind of created a lot of confusion, what sexuality is and whatnot. And, you know, even in like the ancient Christian texts, there is suggestions that the, the original Christians, the esoteric Christians, they knew that there was these two ways. And then the church really came along and made it so that this other way was the bonding based loving way was forgotten. 
um, because it's obviously easier to keep a, a human race suppressed if they're just busy procreating and trying to feed the mouse, you know, if they're like free, if they're not under that spell, if they're not enslaved to that, they had, could have all kinds of time to go say, well, we don't need rulers or we're just going to do what we want to do. Right. So um, it, there's a much bigger conversation. And, you know, I do think that if we if if we were free to know this and do this, um, a lot of the things that have power right now, like the church would would lose, would be knocked off their thrones yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we would just learn that we can be totally self-sufficient in a lot of ways you know we don't need that much to be happy and that there's anything wrong with money and acquisitions you know but uh, we've fallen into the trap of believing that we just have to work and make a lot of money and be like be on those hamster wheel yeah and religion obviously caused particularly more so in the past fortunately culturally we're, we've become more accepting but do you ever encounter with your your couples that you see where they've suppressed maybe a different type of sexuality if they're attracted to the same sex yeah. or they're mm -hmm. bisexual? Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, it's just there's just a lot of confusion and a lot of things that they haven't allowed themselves or a lot of, you know, it's just a lot of repression and confusion and it's a it's a mess oftentimes. So a lot of trauma comes from the, you know, the religious upbringing and for men and women and part, a big part of what we do is help them see what it really is and what the confusion is and help them figure out what it is that really feels good to them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you integrate music at all in, in your therapy? That's a good question. Well, I love to dance and obviously, you know, like there's music and so there's other music is something that's very high vibrational. So, you know, some people have an affinity for music. Other people have an affinity for nature. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the things that work for you. I personally have a lot of like mantra music around me. I, we, I, we do chant together. Um, I go dancing and it's music is a big part of my life because it uplifts me, you know? So I share my practices and what I do so that other people can get inspired and find their own way and tools, you know, to help themselves create a better environment. And music is part of the environment, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's music and humor, laughter have been mm -hmm. my main medicine. Yeah. So, what I, something that I've come across personally is a playlist and these vibrational mm -hmm. sound, mm -hmm. like on Spotify. Yeah. Is there anything that you're that you're really in tune with, or something that I could find, or maybe the audience? Well, so the the vibration of five hundred and twenty is you know five hundred and twenty and five like. In the 500s, that's all like unconditional love. So on YouTube or on Spotify, they have, you know, people have recorded frequency music in, in that frequency. It's the same as a rose. A rose has the frequency of 540. So it's really good to have roses around you or rose oil on you and then have music that's in that frequency uh, playing in your background. Self-love. And you can just type into, you know, into um, Spotify or YouTube. Maybe YouTube might be easier you know, um, self-love, healing frequency music and things like that, or mantras. If there's a listener or listeners, couples, do you have any words of encouragement for them to step out and make mm -hmm. that step, try to salvage their relationship yeah. as far as intimacy goes? Yeah. It's not so much about working through the past and, you know, kind of trying to dig it up. It's really more about you 
realizing that it's all about energy. Basically, if your relationship isn't working, it's just because it has dropped, you know, somewhere close to 200, maybe below 200, a little bit above 200. So it's just a matter of figuring out what needs to happen for you and your relationship to be lifted up. And there's tools and practices that can do that. And they can work really quickly because energy responds really quickly. Um, and so the, the main thing I just wanted to kind of impart on everybody, you know, you don't have power over others, other people, you don't have power over other circumstances, but you do have absolute power over your own, maybe not over your own thoughts, but over your own vibrational state of being. And so learning and figuring out what, what you need for you to feel good and happy and content is like the most important thing. Because from there is, you know, from there you can create the life that you really want when you're when you're in a good state of being in a resource state of being and it might not happen overnight you know in my own life it you know it took you know 10 years to go from really a worst case to really truly living everything that i've imagined not that there's not more you know but all right and and that's obviously that exudes in all aspects of life so people will feel your energy Mm -hmm. even in a simple interaction with a stranger i mean i clearly think so and are you working on any other books in the near future i am i am i want to write my own book on the bonding based love making and include the pleasure iq principles and so yeah it's it's time. So, and then you also you're gonna start a launch a podcast mm-hmm. in the near future. Right? Yeah, starting next month, and like in two three weeks here, it's called How Love Lasts, and it will be on all the major platforms. And will you always have guests, or what's the format? No, the idea really is to make it a podcast on bonding based love making, and there isn't that many experts. Although there are some, you know, people that I can bring on to teach like complimentary things like you know there's people that teach meditation things like that but the idea is really for me to bring on people that are in the process of learning this like some of my clients might come on and share the experience how it is for them and what they're doing to transition um i'm planning on interviewing my partner also you know because i think you know i there's so only so much i can share and then not having uh, the perspective from a male how this is actually you know how this is, has been for him and how it yeah. is for him uh, will be hugely valuable and then um also answering questions like I'll have you know, people writing questions during the week and then I'll be answering those questions. That's kind of the format. Oh, that's yeah. great. So the audience can be, it will be more interactive. Yeah. 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 If any of the listeners are interested in contacting you, uh, what's the best way to reach you? Best way is just to go to my website. It's my name, Carolyn Hauser, C-A-R-O-L-I-N. H-A-U-S-E-R. And on my website, I have a free training that kind of goes over the five steps that I think are necessary for people to bring love and attraction back or make it last. And um, it's very easy for me to, also, to, to for you to connect with me on Facebook, Facebook Messenger. It's I, I live on Facebook pretty much. <laughs> so I interact with most people. And um, yeah, it's all under my name. Well, listen, Carolyn, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been fascinating. I hope that some of my listeners will come out and, and I look forward to seeing and listening to your new podcast. Thanks. And hopefully uh, my listeners will as well. Thank you so much for having me. Really great questions. Thank you. All right. Really enjoyed it. Take care. If you are like me, you may still be trying to reconcile Carolyn's advice to avoid orgasms to find true pleasure. I'm wondering how long I could sustain as the quote-unquote master of my domain. That being said, it is exciting and enlightening to hear a scientific link to lovemaking and emotional healing. I'm looking forward to sharing new perspectives and stories in upcoming episodes. 
If you're watching this on YouTube, please drop in your comments on what you think about this approach. It's great to hear from my listeners, and you have a chance to shape future content. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Nirvana.